1: I'm staying in a bubble in a few days' time. Because you've Pardon? got COVID.
0: Yeah. You're, just, you're so nostalgic for the year 2020, you're starting to form bubbles in your free time. Is that what it is?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. What do you mean yeah. you're staying in a bubble? I'm staying in a bubble. I'm staying in like a, like a thing up a tree, and it's literally inflated. Treehouse. And it's a big bubble, and it overlooks a safari park, and it looks fucking lush. Remind weirded. me when you're doing this. Next, on Monday? On Monday,
2: okay. So Storm Kieran's still probably fucking everyone up and you're just going to get I'm, blind. I, I, mean, I mean, A,
1: no, it won't be. It'll be done. B, have done. you looked outside? St- what Storm Kieran? I've not even seen a bin on the floor. Like, it's been <laughs> it's ridiculous. Because they're all in the air. It, it, overblown. Oh, oh, I shouldn't use that phrase. Sure someone, oh, because people, people that are tormented by the storm will hear the word blown <laughs> yeah. and be upset. <laughs> uh, I hope it rains and stuff whilst I'm in the bubble. It'll be lovely.
2: Yeah, I, stay, I did it. Treehouse uh, thing once and it,
1: it hammered it down. It Was yours it. a bubble?
2: No, it wasn't a bubble.
1: Like, you've oh, literally okay. got to go like, through an airlock to get in That's it so because bizarre. It's, like, it's like genuinely like, semi inflated. I mean, it
2: sounds very cool, don't get me wrong, but why? What do you mean an airlock? <laughs> <laughs> like, it has it, its it, own it's inter- supply
1: of oxygen? I don't know how it works. Because <laughs> it's, it's entirely. It's entirely transparent, the whole thing. So all around you is trees and you're over a safari park oh, cool. mm-hmm. and okay. you can see things. think. Lovely. So I hope it's really nice and sunny and life nice, nice, clear evening and stuff. And then as soon as I get in bed, I hope it starts shitting it down with rain. That's okay. the, that's the, that's the ideal. Because then you're mm, lovely, oh, snug in bed and it's raining on the bubble. Unless it's like so loud and you can't sleep. <laughs> Be all right. Well, I can see all, all of our listeners. I've, I've slept in a room with Adam. Just
0: pray, pray that that Lucas uh, gets loads of rain, but only once he's inside the bubble that's in a tree inside a safari park, and in the bed, and in the bed. It's quite a specific prayer, but I think
1: if we prayer? combine the power of our listeners, it will work. Yep. And do you know what's great is that the the, the the listeners will do this prayer months after I've been. Yeah, but
0: but. God will understand the intention of it ahead of time and it will be fine. It will all work out. Don't worry about it. God just knows these things and it all happens. Amen. Hello and welcome to (laughs) What is Music? A music podcast about music. We are a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us for season five, which is called Are We Enjoying This? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of R.E.M., We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, and asking questions like, does context matter when listening to music? Does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season we are, of course, asking, are we enjoying this? And to be clear, we're asking, are we enjoying this in regards to the band REM? Not, are we enjoying this in regards to this? The sixth season of our podcast, which is called, are we enjoying this? And which you may or may not be enjoying. I'm Adam Scott Glass, I'm a big music nerd. I'm a big fan of REM. With me, as always, are two of my biggest mates. Uh, The first is someone who's not a huge music nerd. Maybe the least knowledgeable on music in general out of the three of us. Just kind of learning through this podcast how to apply critical thought onto why he likes or dislikes something. And whether that means it's good or not, it is, of course, Lucas Way.
1: Just opening up a fucking can of lad.
0: <laughs> and, of course, we also have someone who is betwixt those two places. It's Steve Murphy. Um, I, don't, what's I opened that? my water bottle. You did open your water bottle. Yeah, that's I had good. to close
2: it first, though.
0: Yeah, it, it, it I can edit out the closing of it if you like.
2: Now nah, put the closing in three times
0: louder. Tell you what, okay. tell you what,
1: that beer, very room temperature.
0: Lovely, good okay, stuff, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. On this podcast that you're listening to right now with your ears, uh, we are exploring the entire discography of R.E.M. In the last few weeks, we reviewed their second album, Reckoning. Go back and listen to that, which we all enjoyed to various degrees. And we also caught up with the band on their tour on 1980, in 1984. And this week we will explore, discuss and review the band's third album. Lucas, do you remember exactly where we left the band, where we left off?
1: Uh, last I saw them, they were like exiting a stage um, after a gig. Yeah, they were on their 1984 tour, weren't they? Yeah, so I reckon we left them off in about 1984. Yeah, and they were they they were doing a tour. I hate to for... break this to you.
0: I really hate to break this to you. We you because you're so close. We left them in like literally the opening minutes of 1985. Did uh, you do
1: like a New Year's gig or something? We did a New Year's Eve
0: show. Yeah, <laughs> and so that was the last thing that we talked about. <laughs> They did Damn. they did a New Year's Eve show um in Atlanta to about five fa- Copy Mannix again. I know to about five thousand people. And I suppose the big thing is uh growing acclaim amongst the critics. Uh they are at the forefront of this kind of new musical movement, although I think they were hesitant to call it a movement, and also a growing audience, right? Do you remember that? Grow audience. Yes, they are becoming more well known, albeit still on a relatively small level. Okay? Smevelled. Everyone's
2: trying to, yep, everyone's trying to recapture whatever RMM had to sort of uh, bad success, right? Everyone's like, let's do the college rock thing.
0: Yes, uh, yes, 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 exactly. Know, and, and let's
1: all cover Radio
2: Free
0: Europe.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Is college rock a, 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 a genre at this point then? It's because, becoming like, a genre. We were, yes. we were in bands in college, and guess what? They didn't sound like R.E.M. Mm-hmm. No. They, they, they sounded bad.
0: bad. <laughs> it's, they also weren't played on college radio, which is kind of where the college rock thing sort of comes from. It's not just rock music that's made if you're in college. We did a whole thing on It doesn't matter. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, two albums, you know – much more successful than anybody thought they were going to be. So when they start working on the recording of their third album in the beginning of 1985, I think they literally have like a few weeks off and then they start writing and recording. When they start the recording of their third album, they make perhaps the strange decision to change a lot of what they had been doing before, a lot of what they had been finding success with. And we've seen artists that we've covered doing this before, right? Manning Street Preachers abandoning the lush production, you know, that that big mansion that they recorded in, uh, and-, and abandoning the production style of that, uh, of-, of Gold Against the Soul, and they make the pared down and kind of brutal album, The Holy Bible. Radiohead making the conscious decision not to make The Bends Part 2, despite the growing acclaim and audience, you know, which they could have, like really exploded their success if they made The Benz Part 2. They went, no, we're going to change our surroundings, we're going to change the way we work, we're going to make OK Computer. And that's what R.E.M. do. Well,
1: and then they did it again for the next one. Well, exactly,
0: well. and that's Radiohead. Um, but that's what R.E.M. do here. They make the conscious decision to switch up their process and move away from some kind of comfort zone that they developed. Uh, something else that all
1: those albums have in common? Can you put your finger on it? The producer, the, and all that, the how it's produced. The people playing, the people in the band performing the music. It's the same. It's
0: even simpler than that. They're all the third album.
1: The Holy Bible, OK Computer
0: and this album are all their third album. Uh, this seems to be when artists that we cover go like, OK, we're going to work in a different way. We've seen some success with our first two albums. We're going to change the way we work for the third one. Not all of them. Not all of them. Do you hear the difference for this album? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Speak on that.
2: Produced entirely different to me. Darker, grimier.
0: Uh, the sheen has been taken off this, right? Uh, There's no sheen on it. It's, Charlie, it's, Michael, it's... Martin, they're gone.
1: <laughs> <All> they <that, laughs> you are out of here.
0: It, I, I was, you could see
1: I was winding up a Michael Sheen <laughs> reference. Lucas, what, uh, what kind of differences did you pick out? A just eminently less radio friendly and sort of yeah you know accessible and sort of nice it's way less accessible so so actually it's kind of the
0: same move as manix make for the Holy Bible and yeah. Radiohead make for Aco Computer right yeah it's kind of the same move I don't now both. Of, I don't, both of those I albums, hope. I gave a ten, and I would like yeah. to just point out right now, I'm not giving this album a ten. I just, I just, well, yeah, just want to point out. I think so
1: far less <laughs> like, like the Holy Bible is is a, is a is an absolute titan yeah. of an album in its way. The, okay, Computer, I I think we generally on the whole thought it was all right. We yeah. I think not generally bad. Positive I think we reviews. said right. I think yeah. it might have got a perfect score. Yeah, um, did it, yeah. good. After some, some realistig- after some uh, yeah, this one not 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 that yeah i mean it it is much
0: darker it's very murky in tone i mean it's so far away from that very bright clean production on reckoning um and i think that this has some like i think this album has some atmosphere to it right Mm -hmm. but it's not the light ethereality that we heard on murmur um It's something a bit knottier and a bit more complex and a bit darker. Psychedelic Folk is listed as a genre uh, on on this album, uh, alongside the usual, your usual suspects of folk rock, jangle pop, alt country that you get with your REM albums, you know? Yeah. Um, What about alt rock?
1: Well, it doesn't exist
0: yet. That's the thing. I thought thought this is that
1: existing, isn't
0: it? It's it's, it's pre-alt rock. It, if it came out today, we'd class it as alt-rock. But because it's pre-alt-rock, it doesn't actually technically warrant listing it as a genre. Um, Can we not go
1: back and re-genre things, what they were, that they now were referred to as?
0: We kind of do. And that's how you get proto-punk. Like, punk-sounding music that came before punk. Uh, so I guess you could say this is proto-alt-rock, if you wanted to do that. Uh, there's, I think there's also a change in songwriting style.
2: Yes, because it's less it's kind of lesser, it's, it's structured weirder. The songs are structured like not, here's your, here's your verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, end.
0: Oh, I disagree uh, with that. I, they're all yeah. verse, chorus, verse, chorus, uh, bridge, and end. Yeah. 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 There's not a single one that deviates from that. Uh, there's a change in what Michael Stipe's doing, and it's big for the album. And I, I guess we'll touch on it as we, as we get more into it. When we talk about themes and stuff, maybe we'll touch on it there. Um, but like, the, the, you know, when we did the commentary uh, last week, they played a song that we heard for the first time that is present on this album. And Steve, you immediately went, Oh, that sounds a bit like grunge. Yeah. Which, which is not something that we have, like, pointed at before on the REM story. You know, there there is a change in mood here. Does it sound. Could we just put one word to it and just say that it's weird? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but, but the other
2: albums were weird, <laughs> but, like, this one is, uh. It's like, uh. <laughs> It's like the weird child that you keep in the basement, kind of weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it's the <laughs> that, weird you don't that you hide show from the police. <laughs> yeah. I
1: I didn't get weird at any point listening to it. Really, I didn't get the weird. No, no point did I really feel a sense of weirdness. Okay, go on. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to get into what I think of the album too too prematurely. Um, I've been accused of doing things prematurely far too often in my personal life, and I need to try and not. Um, that was a joke about. <laughs> no, I got it <laughs> yes. as a joke about as a joke about Willy's. Uh, okay, yeah. What's it been? Uh, Fifteen uh, minutes. I didn't. G1, I, I I didn't really pick up on weird because I didn't really pick up on much of anything on this album. I'm right, just kind of going to go into my whole thing with this album, really, because whew, hard work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think this is a, if, this is hard work because it's weird. Like, that's that that's sort of what, yeah. But I don't mean hard work. I don't mean hard work weird. Hard work weird was the Holy Bible, right? Which I really struggled with.
0: This is way weirder than the Holy Bible. This is so much weirder than the Holy Bible, which is like, it's it's heavy in tone, the Holy Bible, but it's straightforward rock songs from top to bottom.
1: Yeah, maybe. I, don't, I you know, or, or or OK Computer. You know, albums that were work, you say, like... But I still had a lot. I still got a lot out of I me in the Holy Bible, right? Which obviously I famously slagged off the first time round, and then it I came round to it. I still had a lot to say about it. I still like. You know what I mean? I still. No, you did not. I, yes, I did. It was just all really negative, Adam. <laughs> <You laughs> yeah. No,
3: you did I not. I had a lot to
1: say. It was really negative. No, listen to that episode because it's all just you going, "It's shit." Like I don't, I don't understand
0: this. I don't get it. It's shit. And then you're responding to stuff that I'm telling you about the context. You had nothing to say about the album itself.
1: Okay uh well that's gonna be interesting to see how this episode goes then because uh i think this is the least i've wanted to listen to an album the entire time we've done this whole podcast wow what the least drawn to an album i've been the whole without doubt i every every listen i was like i have to listen to the album more i need to put in more listens i need to get the listens in i have no intent i have no wish to i have no desire to and it's not because i think it's shit it's not because i'm like oh and it's just really bad isn't it i kind of almost wish i hated it in a way. Because I'd come in with like a bit more of a take, instead it was like really didn't didn't get on my radar. You know, it just really felt like homework. This one because it's very weird. Maybe, but I didn't pick up on a weirdness. I didn't go like I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling to get what it is. I was just like n- n- nothing's grabbing me. Yeah, you having nothing that is
0: grabbing you is quite weird. Which would tell you that the album's <laughs> weird, right? Yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: It's probably reflective in the the production of how like it just all kind of muddies into itself, and I wonder if it's done that. I know that you probably wouldn't have gone, oh, the production, but maybe that's kind of done that
1: thing to the album where it's all just merged into one soup. I'm very interested to know if my my feelings towards this album are a. I'm interested to see what you guys think of it. Like, yeah. is this is this a weaker album, and you guys are going to be more negative on it, and I'm and and that's that's the vibe, or am I? Just simply going to struggle with REM.
0: Those are the questions. It's impossible to answer them here. Um,
1: I, I, I think I Adam, to... I think it's exactly what we're supposed to answer here, isn't it? That's the whole point.
0: It's not three albums things. into a 15 album band, mate. No. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> with... But I mean that, that 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 does
1: that does worry <laughs> me though. That three albums in, I'm kind of like, oh, this was that was, oh, I, you know, I I I really lost enthusiasm with this, and I really tried, and that's I've been dreading this episode because I don't want to come across and be like old season one negative basic bitch lucas this is kind of what i was saying when we talked about it privately is that
0: this is familiar to me to be honest this is the familiar lucas sort of uh stance the first three albums not your faves you gave the bends a good score because like it's more in your wheelhouse but you were still pretty non you were still like i don't really get what's special about this album you came into okay computer saying i'm disappointed by this album uh you know so i came
1: around to it and gave it a 10 out of 10 exactly
0: (laughs) so you know this is typical kind of lucas and i think it's more about familiarity for you than it is about anything else lest we forget that first manix season there were four albums out of 14 that you gave over a five out of ten
1: but i remember i still remember how i felt about manix by by episode by album three and i still had like a sense of fondness for them not even like i love the music but it's like, you not know I mean. like i felt like a sense of like ah, oh, i'm, I'm manix boys and i was excited to see where they went and that sort of like i don't know i felt more towards them at the moment rem and i don't know that's why i'm really i don't want to come across like i'm being too negative i've so far i've got no i haven't got any investment in them yet nothing's i feel like even on by by the holy bible with manix i had a sense of investment whereas i haven't got that yet with R.E.M. And I'm saying yeah, because I really hope they do. And I, I hope by album six or whenever they, seven, seven's when they get big.
2: To be fair, that is the difference between this season and the first one, Lucas Because originally, originally you just go, it's shit. At least now you're like, yeah, but I'm not getting <laughs> something here. I'm not trying to say it's shit. So it is
1: different. I think also it's partially because you've set up this idea in my head that they, this is what they sound like forever now. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Which has definitely set up an idea of like, oh, fucking hell, I hope not. Well, let's because... bear in
0: mind, though, that I set that up on album one and we're, they're already sounding a bit different, you know?
1: To me, though, not enormously different. That's the thing. They're still it's a rock not... band,
0: but th- there's nothing on here that
1: would necessarily easily slot into Murmur. Yeah. But even like, again, to go back to, we keep comparing it to Manix, but unfortunately it is the closest, you know, sort of comparison in terms of the bands we've covered, right? By album three, I was still quite, I could go back to Gold Against the Soul and go, oh, I loved uh, the song Gold Against the Soul, Sleep Flower, Slapped, uh, whatever, Repeat Stars and Stripes. Was a meme. Uh, all these things, right? We covered those REM albums a few weeks ago. I couldn't tell you song names. You could play me a song now, and I go, "Which of the two albums is that off?" Yeah, do you know what I mean. I, I haven't, I haven't grabbed on to anything. It's, it's academic still at this point for me. It's not. I haven't yet attached any little. Oh, th- th- there's my thing that REM are to me, even if it's negative. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're weird. And they're difficult to get hold of, and I think that's something that I've repeated on every single REM episode. They're weird, and they're difficult to get hold of, and that is the attraction of them for a lot of people.
2: It's just so not immediately weird, is it? I think that's the thing. Yes,
1: I mean, because because you keep saying weird, and I don't hear weird. I just hear like normal, and I know it's not normal. Yeah, I've been listening to it loads. I've been not. I say like when I said it's been homework. That's not to say I've not listened to it much because I haven't wanted to. I've listened to it fucking loads. I just haven't m- massively wanted to. I've just have been because I have to, do you know what I mean? But I haven't been like, it's not that I've only done five listens, you know, absolutely not. I've done dozens of listens, but just, it's just not, it's just like listen 10 versus listen 25 broadly felt the same. Do you know what I mean? For me, I didn't get a sense of, of familiarity, which then built some level of fondness or some level of connection to it or whatever. Like, the whole idea of the playlist, right? The whole idea of like the, the, the Lucas, which songs go on the playlist of the, the artists. So far, yeah. haven't made one for an REM and haven't felt any inclination to. I hope at some point that, 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 that desire comes along and I go, cool, let's start making my REM playlist like I've got with all the bands we've done. So well, Actually, not true. I didn't do one for like Billy because there's two albums. I've just got a playlist called All Billy. Um, Billy's another artist that, if you look at the
0: scores and you, you hear how you talked about the albums, you're nothing. And now they've improved with familiarity.
1: Do you know what's funny as well? If you if you went on my Spotify now and yeah. you looked at like listen to artists, the artists that we've covered on this podcast I listen to the most, easily Billy Eilish. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I felt that, that all the stuff you just said. I felt for the first five listens of this album. To be fair, I was like, oh no, uh oh oh no, hmm. this is this it, it's this is nothing. This is oh no, uh, I, I, I have I I got past that I think a lot quicker than you did. Even though like I have been saying so far, it ha- has taken me longer. It's taken me longer to get into these albums than any other artist.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's always a fear. There's always a fear of a nothing album because from like the 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 podcast admin side of it, it's going to mean there's a less interesting conversation off the back of that. Do you know what I mean? So there's always a worry there's always a worry with these albums I've been dreading this yeah. episode because I'm like I don't want to upset Adam and annoy Adam I feel like if I came into it really fucking had loads of specific takes of why I despise this album that'd be much more interesting than this album's not grabbed me and yes you're about to say and yet we've had this interesting conversation off the back of it but we won't have that conversation 11 times for each track do you know what I mean when we start getting to track by track I'm going to go don't have a lot to say about this one lads like hasn't grabbed me not much to say here so yes, we have
0: somewhat fucked with the order in which we would have discussions on this episode. This sounds like something we would have halfway through the album. Sounds like something we might like a discussion we might have at the end of the album. I thought it was very important to have that discussion at the beginning of this album so that we can kind of get a baseline of how we're all going into this album. Um, or at least how Lucas is going into this album, I suppose, because me and Steve, I kind of haven't really said anything. Adam
1: said nothing, I've just waffled on. Also, another little tiny touch that's uh, added to the, the mix of Lucas finding it difficult to feel motivation to listen to this album. An, an album came out recently that's new that I've actually really, really wanted to listen to constantly, and I've, I've, been, I've been forced away from it by listening to this. The new Blink wanted to the Blink The Blink album. Which Adam will, will right, absolutely okay, cool. despise the idea, but it's new music. It's new music. Is it new music? It's like a, leg- it's like a legacy <laughs> reunion yeah, of it's like a band I listened to when I was 13.
0: <laughs> you,
2: you, discovered, you discovered this new album.
1: I think it barely qualifies as new music. Yeah, I think it does. Adam, you'll, Adam you, you'd love what I said the other day to, to Steve and a friend in a chat. I said to them, I think this is the most important album in years. <laughs> for you right for, for, for me you specifically yeah yeah the sense of like <laughs> life's hard man like, more than the poison No, <laughs> mate that was years ago life's life's hard yeah life's difficult now there's stresses there's difficulties there's there's, there's disappointments our oh, special boys just getting back together and making a good old-fashioned blake Two album that isn't shit love love it good. so happy good for you man. And, and then saw them live and had a lovely time i will listen to it i try and listen to all of like the big releases of the year towards the end of the year and try and uh, figure save out. save it, it like. for our season though surely no thank you um there is i mean there's an argument <laughs> sure. there is an argument there's ups and downs there's twists and turns there's side projects there's you know genre shifts although all within a very you know slim genre well that's what we're doing here isn't it there's genre shifts all within a genre but I know that and some I like it. Right <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> back to season 1 lads. Back um, back to season 1. The the reason
0: I wanted to have that there is because I think personal context is really important when you're listening to music, that's something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. What we what I also really like, I've been really really excited more than murmur and reckoning to talk about this album uh on the podcast with you guys. That,
1: because that, and that's why I'm, that then worries me. <laughs> Well, no, because it's a weaker album, isn't it? Right, right. Like, so you like do obviously. think this is a weaker album? Yeah,
0: ob- obviously it's a weaker album. I, yeah,
1: I don't know. That's the thing. I don't because uh, because it's, it's done so little to me. I genuinely, you could have come in and said this to ten out of ten because uh, it's not. I, I haven't got a sense of that. Which why I was very interested to know what you guys think of this album because maybe it is a weaker right. album and it's not surprising I've not responded to it. And actually, I shouldn't be worried. One hundred percent. 100%. Um, this is a weaker album,
0: I think. Uh, it has its defenders, but I think it's a, it's a much weaker album than the previous two. Um, and what I love, and it's a whole reason that we do this podcast, you know, you asked me right at the beginning, why do you like diving into the context of a record? Why can't you just listen to the record, make up your mind about whether or not you like it, and then move on? I think it's very interesting. Murmur, I'm, I subscribe to the idea that it's one of the best debut albums of all time reckoning i think is an incredible follow-up what happened here
1: Mm. oh okay you really are quite negative okay i'm interested
0: in what happened here and i don't hate this album at all uh i'm going to give it a positive score as in above a five Mm, okay five point five but what happened and also does what happened Illuminate anything that makes me admire the album, that makes me like the album a little bit more, that makes me more enthusiastic about the album in general. And we're going to explore that over the course of probably about five episodes at this rate. Um, <laughs> and, and we'll see if, if it moves the needle at all for you, Lucas. We'll see if some context makes you go, like, okay, I still don't
1: respond to it, but I appreciate what they're going for. Well, that was the Holy Bible thing, right? The Holy Bible, we came away from that of me going, yeah. those are some very interesting stories. I'd love to read Rishi Edwards' diary the songs don't do anything for me. And then over time, the songs started doing things for me and I appreciated the context more and et cetera. And now, exactly. it was my favorite album of all time. So, oh wow, okay, well, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: whoa, oh, wow, whoa. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have kind of touched on there some of the challenges of this album. We have slightly addressed some of the artistically focused challenges. Why were there artistic uh, challenges and changes? Because there were some physical ones as well. Both Murmur and Reckoning were recorded in Reflection Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, and both of them were produced by Don Dixon and Mitch Easter. For this album, they packed up and they moved to London, recording in Livingston Studios, and they chose a different producer, Joe Boyd. And now already, you're like, right, yeah, that is why there's a difference between this and the first two albums. They've completely changed their surroundings.
1: Which is weird, because it's an album all about, like... It's an album all about like, the South,
0: exactly. It's it about the South of
1: England. No, yeah. uh, it's about
0: Portsmouth. <laughs> but isn't that yeah? Our real rich culture. Isn't that South interesting. Um, so, so, That's is so weird, they, isn't it? They picked uh, Joe Boyd, and Joe Boyd was known for producing English folk musicians. Okay, in the 1960s, he'd worked with Fairport Convention, The Incredible String Band, Soft Machine, and some early Pink Floyd. So that kind of folk rock merging into a kind of psychedelic sound. He also produced one of the world's most famous albums, Five Leaves Left, by the legendary folk singer Nick Drake. Have, you guys must have heard of Nick Drake if you haven't heard any Nick Drake, right?
1: Yeah, of. Lucas. Is he Drake's dad?
0: Here is, I'm going to play you a little clip just to so get an idea of a Joe Boyd production. And you know this song. This is Riverman by Nick Drake.
3: Gonna see the river man Gonna tell him all I can about the plan for life and time. If it tells me all you know.
0: Beautiful. That's a bit of isn't it? Yeah. Make a confession? Yeah.
2: Never heard that in my entire life. I've never heard Riverman by Nick Drake.
1: I have. I've heard. I think I've heard that. Yeah, before. yeah of course. And yeah. I loved
0: that. You loved it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lovely. Great, great bum chin as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, something slipped into place for me there. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense that they chose him as a producer for this album. And you can hear in Riverman stuff that you hear on Fables of the Reconstruction. I think.
1: Uh, I guess that sort of melancholic, slightly more dour. Vibe, maybe.
0: Also, strings, which which REM had yes, not used yeah, yeah. at this point. Yes,
1: I mean, did yeah. not to not to. I mean, I have already played my hand for this album already, so it's not really any yeah. point. That was nice. No, that was better than anything on this album, though. That thing we just heard for like twenty seconds.
0: Yeah, Five if Left by Nick drakes so is an incredible album. Um, there, there there was some to and fro about producers. IRS, the record label, had originally wanted Hugh Padgham, who was the producer for The Police um Elliot Mazer, Neil Young's producer was considered Elvis Costello suggested himself um <laughs> it was it was Peter Buck uh who I must remind you is R.E.M. that suggested Joe Boyd because he was just looking at his record collection for inspiration and he saw Five Leaves Left um and obviously we've talked about R.E.M. referring to themselves around reckoning as a folk rock band yeah so maybe they're choosing to lean into that folk aspect um yeah. yeah, I mean, they've doubled down on the Southern
2: Gothic thing, right? So it's not a surprise that they kind of wanted to go in a folky production. Whether that works, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to hear this album done differently. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would be an interesting experiment. Like, you can't do that because we can't change time. But um, What? Did you think that we could change
1: time? We can change the future, mate. Disagree. Oh. Oh, determinism. Steve's yeah. mm. deter- he's a Steve's he's determinist.
0: Also maybe a bit of a nihilist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, th- no, no, no. <laughs> I, no, I'm thick, and I don't know what you're Oh, right. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Their sessions in London run longer than they had taken for an album thus far. They started recording in a very rainy London at the end of February 1985 and finished on April the 3rd. Um, and a little bit before that, when they were still at home uh, in Georgia they spent time writing the album which is also kind of the opposite of reckoning right because reckoning was songs they had and then just quickly recorded them and a big portion of these songs were written specifically for the album um irs did not like the rough straightforward vibe of reckoning and wanted to get in a new wave producer. You know, they wanted something like those bands that we mentioned in the second British Invasion, you know, Duran Duran and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I, I bet, I reckon I would have responded to that album a lot more. <laughs> well, I, I, what REM did in response to that was they hired Joe Boyd and then went to London without even telling the record label. Okay. Uh, and when the record he label found out... Yeah, they were, they were livid when they found out. the The relationship with Joe Boyd, not the best. Not the best sort of relationship with that producer in the studio from what I've read, but a lot of that came from the band who were completely exhausted by basically being on tour for the last four years straight, and they weren't looking forward to doing that again for the next year, right, but they also they couldn't afford not to they were not, they were on an independent label, they had small advances, they had to get out and get touring and also Because the songs were written for the album, they didn't necessarily have the arrangements figured out. You know when they, you know those stories from *Reckoning*, where the producers would say, and they went in, they played the song, and that's what's on the album. Yeah, yeah. They could, they couldn't do that. They couldn't just go in and record. They needed to use the studio to figure out how everything was going to sound. Um, Peter Buck said, "It's the only time we've walked in and we didn't have a clue, not even the beginning of an idea on how to make these songs. We couldn't agree on tempos. We'd argue about things like keys. Um, and of course." a big part of recording is getting those basic live takes right. Okay, you've got to get those first, then you build on them. And they weren't doing it. REM don't do loads of overtubs, so those takes had to be good, and they were not. Um, something that's interesting is is that Joe Boyd has talked about the difference between working with basically every other band that he's worked with and REM, which is that other bands, members will listen to those basic tracks and mixes and be like... Okay yeah can my part be a bit louder you know or like l- l- let's bring my part up a bit here you know for the solo everyone in R E M was asking the producer for their part to be quieter <laughs> they were all like <laughs> they were like can you just turn me down please can we just make my bass part a little bit quieter here um uh, they just saw themselves as like this pure ensemble with no member and no part being more important than any other part or member in the band and that is is, Peter Buck REM he is REM but that doesn't you know that extends amongst the others as well I I do think that that attitude is very very rare in the era that we're in in 1980s which is rock music that was all about like guitar solos and egos and stuff yeah that REM stood around going like please turn me down I don't want to be able to hear myself as much as that (laughs) it's it's quite it's quite funny and I guess I guess they kept doing that
2: with Michael Stipe on this record.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, it's a bit of a return to the Murmur production on vocals, Yeah, isn't yeah. It? yeah, 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 um, for sure.
2: That's very interesting. I, I hate that I've become this person, but I can hear all this. Yeah. I mean, talking about turning things down, of course you can hear it. But this fa- this seems far less instinctual. The mm-hmm. fact that they didn't just go in like, we've got these songs, let's record them, baby. And the fact that they were sat around struggling with it is, is why I can hear it as a bit of a struggle to listen to. I don't know.
0: And that's what I'm... Talking about, you, you hear an album and even if you don't like it, dig into it. Go, what's happening here? Why don't I like it? What are the set of circumstances that led to this album that I'm not responding to? Um, Bill Berry has talked about listening to the album and basically shuddering at some of the basic live takes that they kept and built the songs on. He reckons that Joe Boyd, the producer, was having a tough time salvaging anything and the members of REM were bickering amongst themselves about how songs should sound and they were arguing en masse all four of them with Joe Boyd about how songs should sound except Michael Stipe who was telling him how the songs should look Uh, and Joe Boyd was much more used to being fully in control but then the band and Boyd were joining forces to argue with the record label about how the songs should sound, or if you were Michael Stipe, how the songs should look. And the band have said that this was the closest that they had ever come to breaking up. And the band were just in a bad place. They were exhausted. They were not used to a London winter. (laughs) And it was a particularly cold winter as well. It was cold and it was rainy. And Michael Stipe, was unwell. He was suffering from malnutrition. He was deeply mentally unwell. He was eating only potatoes, potentially had an eating disorder, and he was preoccupied with losing a number of friends to the ongoing AIDS epidemic. And he had developed this kind of fear that the US government was going to round up all members of alternative lifestyles and force them to live in concentration camps. Uh, He was in a bad place and they were faced with going back to the USA where it was warm and they could be comfortable at home in the springtime and they would be there for 4 days before they were then booked up on gigs and tours and recording sessions until christmas so they considered to just like they considered just stopping everything completely halting their momentum having spring at home and releasing the album in the autumn and as they said who cares if the album doesn't sell as much um And it was Jefferson Holt, their manager, who turned them around saying that they could give up now and they could go more part-time, you know, and they could sell 100,000 records each time they put out a record and they could make a little bit of a living off it, you know, you know, they could be hippies, they could be part-time rock stars, or they could capitalize on the rolling success and goodwill towards them that had been building over the past five years, work flat out for one more year and then reap the benefits of bigger paychecks for gigs, bigger royalties, and have time off the following year. Now, when I was reading all that, so much of this album clicked into place because they sound confused. (laughs) They (laughs) sound like they didn't have enough time to finish some of the songs. They sound like they were unwell. They sound like they weren't having a good time. It just makes complete sense to me. Um, After the recording sessions, the band headed straight back to the US, whilst another two weeks of mixing took place in London without them being there. And the mixing was very difficult. Some mixers would please Joe Boyd, the producer, but nobody else. uh, Or they would please the band and nobody else. Or the record label and nobody else. Um, Joe Boyd liked the stuff that had like numerous instruments and colourful production R.E.M. liked the smudged and less developed tracks and uh, the record label liked Can't Get There From Here, you know? That's the one that they liked, I reckon, because that's the big big punchy single, you know? Um, And they also prepare for the album's release, which included them going on what they called the Pre-Construction Tour, which was a, a tour of colleges across the USA from late April to late May 1985, but the album was released on June eleventh, nineteen eighty five, in the USA and a day before in the UK. It is eleven tracks and forty minutes. That's a good it's a good length. It's a good length. At the very least, it's a good length. That, that's such a standard length. It's such a standard length. Eleven tracks, forty minutes. It's one track longer than reckoning, but but only about one minute longer as well. So they're yeah. a bit bunchier, you know?
1: I used to have an idea in my head that an album was an hour long. I don't know where I ever got that from. We grew
0: up in the CD era. We've talked about this. Yeah. They
1: packed them. They packed yeah. the albums. Yeah, right? I guess that's probably what more it is. Isn't it? Yeah. I was
0: thinking about this the other day, actually. I was, talking about, I was thinking about some of the first albums that I ever bought. And like the Marshall Mathers LP is like 18 tracks long or something, isn't it? Like It's yeah, crazy. Like, <laughs> but like, like, five of them are skits, though, to be fair. Yeah, I know. But it's still like an hour and ten or something. It's crazy. Lucas, that
2: Blink album's 17 tracks.
1: Yeah, but it's also probably about 25 minutes long because it's the tracks of three three minutes (laughs) of the piece. (laughs) Anyway,
0: the album was produced by Joe Boyd and the artwork was by M.K. Johnston. Now, let's talk about the artwork. I haven't really said the name of the album. What is the album called?
1: Well the, the the album art doesn't have the word reconstruction on it. It well, does. It does.
2: Right. So it's it's Fables of the Reconstruction. But or is I it? guess the gate the gatefold of the vinyl, right, it had Fables of They on one side
1: and Reconstruction on the other. Am I wrong? Is it is that is that scratchy thing in the background a really zoomed in bit of the word reconstruction because there is two album
0: covers. What's the album called? Fables of the Reconstruction. I'm happy with that. Are you happy with that, Lucas? Or
2: is it Reconstruction, Fables of The?
0: Or, well, I've seen it referred to as Reconstruction of the Fables.
1: Okay. That doesn't work. Why? Because Fables of The is written on the front cover.
0: I mean, we've said this album was maybe a little bit weird. The thing is weird from top to bottom. I have my original vinyl copy here. On the spine, the usual details are printed, okay? Um, Yeah everything it's got the record label it's got the artist it's got the album name kind of everything is printed twice both ways round, so you can store the record upside down and still have the text facing the correct direction even the copyright notice uh is repeated there is one difference on either end of the spine and that's the album title one says fables of the and nothing else and the other says reconstruction of the And nothing else. And Steve is right. It has two front covers, kind of. Neither side of the vinyl cover features a track listing. But both sides have features that you would typically see on the back cover of an album. One side has the barcode. You can see there. And it has the copyright notice and, and stuff like that. The other side, though, has the four pictures of the band members, which they had put on the back covers of Murmur and Reckoning. Both sides... Feature an REM logo and they've stolen the Muse one there. I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I have seen the album title written in a few places as Reconstruction of the Fables of the Reconstruction of the Fables of the Reconstruction and so on. Um, one side says, Where are we? Let's have a look. It says Fables of the. Yeah. This side says, Reconstruction of The.
2: Oh, yeah. On the end. Where's
0: Of The? Here, oh, in the, the very little, end. Yeah. Um, both sides feature the artwork that in subsequent reissues has been used as the front cover on either one. On Spotify, the remaster we listen to features a burning book. It's this side. Quite a striking image for the, for the American South as uh, pro-slavery Southerners would burn books that were anti-slavery, including school textbooks in the late 1850s. Uh, and there's the very moody photos. I mean, there's Bill Berry. Very, very moody photos of the, of the band members surrounding it. Uh, the original version on Spotify has the other side, a wooden box yeah. with metallic moulds of human ears uh, attached to it, swinging from a chain surrounded by the kind of proscenium arch that you would see in a theatre. Um, yes.
2: AZ a- a- Lyrics has that one.
0: Yes, so is, it's, it's a, all different, all different all yeah, the time. Yeah. The, that, the, the one with the ears is the one that looks most like a back cover on the original vinyl copy. So, I mean, even the artwork uh, stands out from what was going on around the you know, like other, other bands. It's obscure, it's interested in folk art, and it's weird. Um, they made it intentionally difficult to discern what the title of the album is is even on the record itself the actual piece of vinyl on one side the label says fables of the reconstruction and on the other side it says reconstruction of the fables why fables of the reconstruction stuck but most people colloquially will just call it fables i think most people just go fables like the third album is called fables um and the confusion continues on the inner sleeve, uh, where when you finally get a track listing, it's not in the yeah. right order. And it, could, it, could, it contains 12 tracks. Uh, a track called When I Was Young is listed, but it's not on the album. Um, and you, you, know, you know there's a song with parenthesis, auctioneer, parenthesis, another engine. Yeah, yeah. Those two bits are listed separately. Uh, married yep. only by font. Each song title has its own font. Can't get there from here and feeling gravity's pull have their apostrophes removed. Uh, which is a bit of an REM trademark at this point and the credits for the album are presented as a game where there are names in the left column and job titles on the right and you are encouraged to match them up Yourself. If you just pick the ones that are next to each other, then W.T. Berry is The Best Boy, M.E. Mills is Consulate Mediator, P.L. Buck is Ministry of Music, and J.M. Stipe is The Gaffer Interpreter. Other job titles include Secretary of Transportation, Assistant to the King, and Vice President in Charge of Mike Mills. Uh, and, <laughs> and of course, no lyric sheet either. Weird. Yeah, weird. Weird album. Uh, the, the Name of the Sides. It's quite funny. A side and another side. Another side,
1: <laughs> which, which is also a side. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. So which one's the right one? We the, don't ho- know. the
0: whole thing is just slippery. And just when I think I have the album figured out, something else presents itself and it falls apart. A, a good word that I came up with for how I feel about this album or, or the way that this album presents itself to me is
1: tricky. It's a tricky album, you know? Yeah, it is. Lucas, you were going to ask why. Yeah, just why. But then also, why not? But also, who cares? Why yeah, why not? not?
0: Yeah, that, that was going to be my response, is like, why not? Um, <laughs> and, and then, like we've, like we've already said, the record sounds weird, but what does the album sort of sound like? They're playing with new sounds, right? There's new textures and there's new moods on here. There's some new instruments on there. There's some different instruments. Mm. That are... It's a fucking some... banjo.
2: So, yeah. <laughs> it's that, It's the southernness. Is there yep. a melodica?
1: I feel like there might be a melodica.
0: There's a harmonica. Um, no, yeah. no
1: I, I'm talking about a separate song. The melodica, I, I suspect. Yeah? What well, does a melodica sound like? Like kind of... Like, it's a keyboard you blow into. It's a keyboard oh, that you blow that one into. into. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. blow into any keyboard. It won't necessarily make any noise. Yeah. And also, uh, uh, a string quartet. And a
0: horn section uh, are also things that they've not, they've not used before. Um, yeah. But for me, murky, almost across the board, um, it's, a, it's a dingy... Grubby. Uh, yeah, grubby album. And I would say sometimes that production choice helps some of the songs, and sometimes it completely hinders them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, how about, how about this, though? How about this? You
0: ready? hmm More focused.
2: Speak on that. It's much more in one direction. Doesn't sound wait, anything like, wait, anything like, like Harry one Styles, one styles edition. Edition to me. Yeah. But I left a big gap there for that.
0: <laughs> I'll edit the gap out so we seem yeah. like we're super quick. Yeah,
1: yeah. I oh, know
2: I meant in my notes. Adam, Adam, just Adam back, put it before so he even maybe, says right? it. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, much more uh, Harry Styles than something like Murmur, which was like kind of a mood sprawling record. This seems very much focused
0: on the same yeah. mood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has a theme. It has a thing, and I think... I think you can hear the thing as well. There was a really there's a nice um review from Matthew Perpetua who described the album as having a sound that evokes images of railroads, small towns, eccentric locals, oppressive humidity, and a vague sense of time slowing to a crawl. Which I really like as a description. There is something oppressive about the sound of this record. It feels thick in the same way that humidity feels thick. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah, I can see that. Steve, to t- talk to me about your themes, then go on. Then
2: I think there's a real focus on uh, transport and travelling. Travelling, yeah. travelling to getting to a destination. What well, what the destination is, don't know. But like a lot of the songs are concerned with getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, some are more obvious than the others. Driver, <laughs> there's one about a train. They seem to kind
1: of be... Cons- so far, Steve, that's the same song, oh, the mate. same song, yeah. 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 Good point. I have got... <laughs> I have got... A- I have a Another car. engine. Cars have engines. That's, that's um, also a song
0: about a train. You guys are shit at yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thomas the
2: Tank
1: Engine. You know, all songs about trains. They're all songs about trains. Wendell Gee. He could walk. That's a mode of transport. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. Well, old Man Kenzie. couldn't even stand so that doesn't work at all right um little rem joke so i didn't get it ah it's in the lyrics i'm not surprised because you can't hear any of them um yeah i don't know i thought that was quite cool it 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 sounded like
0: uh more of a sort of piece. i think you've hit like talking about transport i think you've just hit on uh, a portion of the larger theme, which is the- it's not
2: necessarily the, uh, yeah, I said, but it's more about the whether you're physically getting to a destination or it, it it's that getting somewhere, whether that means physically getting to a place or otherwise. Um, I didn't necessarily mean, hey, these are all about trains, right? Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, uh, Michael Stipe has completely changed up his writing technique, uh, it it feels you were talking about feeling like the album feeling cohesive or focused it, his writing feels so much less random these are songs about things you know what I mean they, they all have identifiable things and we talked about time after time on the last record and Stipe loving that and my take that it's potentially that he loves that potentially because of the seed that it's, it's, that's in there that he then takes forward that song time after time seemed to be about one central thing rather than mysterious snippets of imagery and he has here moved away from songs that don't have a literal meaning, and he's moved into lyrics that tell stories. These are songs about things. He is writing about objects, he's writing about places, and he's writing about characters. And so we arrive, and Steve said it early on, at the peak of their exploration into something we've talked a little bit a bit about before, Southern Gothic. This is their Southern Gothic album. You can hear the darker sound mixing with the country and the southern rock influences. So that's a big tick. But also in the songwriting, you know, as a as a reminder from the from the first REM episode, southern gothic is it's an artistic subgenre heavily influenced by gothic elements and the American South. To do, commonly focusing on storytelling based around flawed or eccentric characters. Decayed or derelict settings, dark situations, and again, the American South, often related to the period uh, of slavery. There's at least four tracks on here that revolve around eccentric characters. There's a real focus uh, on the American South, which is obviously where the band is from. There's lots of references to the landscape of the American South. There's one song specifically about a phrase commonly used in the American South, and just to briefly talk about the titles again. Let's say it was called Reconstruction of the Fables. Makes sense? He's taking these stories or fables about the area or about the people and then literally reconstructing them into the songs. But it's it's kind of we would kind of all agree that it's called Fables of the Reconstruction. Well, the Reconstruction era in America lasted from the late American Civil War to around, so that's like around 1865 until the Compromise of 1877 and was a period in which the country was literally being rebuilt after the Civil War and the Southern Confederate States were reintegrated into the United States and people started to address the social, political and economic impacts of slavery. So these are fables of the Reconstruction. These are stories about that period or that area of America, you know, it's ingrained into that feeling of the American South, big Southern Gothic energy. And I guess we'll touch on some of those like very specific instances as we go through the album track by track. But first, and I think I know the answer to this, I think it'd be the same as I've asked on the previous episodes,
1: any previous experience with this album. I've listened to it a bunch in the last few weeks. Previous, <laughs> loads of previous experience. What about... said the like, same thing in the last album.
0: Yeah, same joke every time. Uh, yeah, a, I would say. Any songs even? Because sometimes, you know, we don't know albums, but we knew no surprises from OK Computer or whatever. Absolutely not. Okay. I
2: think I have heard the name of the, the title, Can't Get There From Here. I, I, that rang a bell. Was
0: that the single? It was the first single, yeah. I know for a fact you've heard Driver 8. And the name Driver 8 yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, How do you know that for a fact? Because I've played, played it to you, you. so many times. <laughs> we covered uh, it in a band that we were both in. So uh, you've played we? the song. It's uh, <laughs> 4-4 <laughs> uh, four, four drums, isn't it? Um, it's an 8-8. Eight, eight. Probably the REM album that I was least familiar with going
1: into yeah. this podcast. Going into this okay. podcast.
0: Yes, yes 100%. Uh,
1: I was about to say when I was about to say when do you jump on board, but it's nowhere near this time because this is nineteen eighty-five, two thousand. I'm not even bored. Not <laughs> yeah. even bored, mate.
0: They only release uh, they release three albums uh, after I become a fan. So I, I become a fan twelve albums in, mate. Oh right,
1: have yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, they oh, got yeah.
4: Have they got sixteen albums? No. Oh,
1: I counted them up on Wikipedia earlier. I must have done it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it was. I the Fables of the band. Reconstruction and Reconstruction of the Fables, each is a separate album. Oh, yeah. Okay, nice. On
0: today's episode, I'd like to talk to you about Buzzsprout, the user friendly podcast hosting for non techie people. I think that if this podcast has achieved anything, it's showing that literally anybody can start a podcast. Do you need any previous experience? No. Do you need top of the range audio equipment? No. Do you need entertaining or insightful content? Absolutely not. But there is one thing that you will need, and that's podcast hosting. Or somewhere to store your podcast and deliver them to all of those podcast places, like the one where you're listening to this now. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, just do it. We here at Big Mates Enterprises use Buzzsprout to host and publish our podcast because it's the best and easiest way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed on all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, Pocket Casts, Podbean, Podcast Addict. The list goes on and on. The other thing we've found is that not only do you get useful and easy to understand statistics about how well your podcast is doing, but also that the support team is super helpful with somebody always on hand to answer questions and help our podcast succeed join over 100,000 podcasters already using buzzsprout to get their message to the world and you'll get a great looking podcast website audio players that you can drop into other websites detailed analytics to see how people are listening tools to promote your podcasts and much much more but wait because the more is now (laughs) because if you follow the link in our show notes when you sign up it lets buzzsprout know that we sent you and do you know what that gets you $20 $20 worth of credit when you sign up for a paid plan and that warm feeling in your stomach knowing that not only are you on your way to podcast greatness but that you've helped to support this show too. So if you're starting your podcast or you're looking to move your podcast use Buzzsprout and follow our link in the show notes. Back to the episode. Alright, okay, well let's let's get going with the uh, with the track by track. We're going to start on A side. Uh <laughs> Which and, <one>? we will <laughs> and we will start with feeling gravity's pull. but it's, it's, it's quite the change in energy when compared mm. to Radio Free Europe and Harbour Coat. You know what I mean? Uh, this is a very different opener to the first yeah. two albums.
2: Start with a slow new one. Yeah,
0: you are in for a different ride. It's <laughs> setting a different tone.
1: I think it has to be a new one, Steve. I think
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
2: I don't yeah. think they could start with an old one. Radio Free Europe was on two things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is you do about
0: it? probably the most different thing that we've heard them do so far?
2: Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, instantly with the opening. <laughs> yeah,
0: that riff is eerie and dark. And there is something like quite uh, like discordant about it or something atonal about it, right?
2: Yeah, which is immediately made me go, oh no, to be honest. <laughs> totally Bible like, vibes, uh, though. Yeah, yeah it yeah, is. It's got that <laughs> cre- 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 creepy dark, creepy
0: yeah. grim, dark. Like.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, Whee- which
2: was the one we heard on the, their live show? It wasn't this, was it?
0: No, it was Wendell G and
2: no, Driver right, 8 okay. we heard on the live show. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, because this this is grimy and grungy, if you will, if you want to use that phrase. It is, uh, isn't it? it like is, instantly, it? yeah.
0: But also that riff is super interesting. The way that he uses uh, strummed dead notes in it. You know, how it's
1: like...
0: It's It has something such a rhythmic feeling to it. Then there's the string quartet, which is new to them, and it also is used to kind of add a bit of darkness the uh, the string part was written by Michael Stipe, humming it, uh, and then he also conducted the quartet, which the classically trained English musicians found quite challenging. Quite challenging indeed. <laughs> he's there, like
1: waving his he's yeah. waving his arms about. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. know that it actually there's yeah, yeah. like there's proper things <laughs> of course you he does do.
0: And he just thinks you wave. And that reminds me of um of OK Computer. Uh, you know when when they came in and looked at the strings and went, "We can't, what what is this, this? Is stupid? How? Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly." Um. And we've had we've had shades of darkness from, from REM, something like yeah. Nine Nine or some of the imagery on like Harbor Coat. And we've also had slower songs like Perfect Circle or Camera. But this is dark and slow at the same time, which we haven't really had. So it feels heavy and it feels thick. This has that yeah. that that humid thickness to it that I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah,
2: we we've had slow but pretty. And this ain't this yes. ain't pretty. I'm not, not a huge fan of it, but like it, you said we didn't get to the chorus because it, it really makes you wait and yeah. it really slows. But then where the fuck does that come from? Because you just get pulled out of that uh, darkness and the discordantness and it sort of changes, it doesn't change
0: key, but it It completely changes get, mood. It lifts, it's, doesn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, it really does. It's like the clouds a, part and the sun starts cause, to come through.
2: Because the first time he gets to, I felt gravity. Oh and then it just starts again. You're okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah But then man. he goes and it goes up and you're like, Whoa, this is nice. What a nice change. and it goes back down to it again. You know, it's fine. There's um, so much
0: um there's so much drama in that. The climb up on the um step up, that bit, and the sky is open armed. That reminded me of um Take A Bow by Mies. It's not a shepherd's tone, but it feels like you're constantly moving up, even though it's the same riff again and again and again it feels like it's lifting and then the drama that he puts into the line when the light is mine and it feels very dark and it feels very grand and then it all, yeah it all comes crashing back down but the second time around that chorus yeah they let the darkness all like lift and yeah i, I think it's great it's, it's kind of like that they're, they're very happy with those light and dark elements like trading places which is kind of like the quiet loud dynamic that we've mm. talked about Before and and actually, it's where REM have previously used tension and release. I guess you can call this tension and and release, right?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a huge amount of release in that in that chorus bit. Um, It's interesting how it comes crashing back down, like gravity would pull it back down. Oh, something like that. Something about that.
0: Something like that. No, hundred percent. You don't need to Um, couch it in like I don't know. Blah 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 blah. That's it, right? It comes crashing back down when 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 he feels gravity pull him down. the song is a description of falling asleep while reading, you know? And I think um, feeling gravity's pull is a great description of that feeling. We've all felt that, right? Of going like Well it oh. goes, whoop yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> isn't isn't it such a lovely feeling? For some reason it's so much nicer kind of nodding off when you're not when you're not like yeah. ready for oh, bed, yeah. it's such a lovely feeling nodding off, even though you know at some point you've got to stop and get up. Your and eyes go start going and you're like. And it's quite oh, a lovely yeah. feeling. Here I go. Like, uh... Isn't
2: sleep terrifying though when you think about it? Like, why nice. should you
0: be like happy about that happening? Here I go. <laughs> okay. I'm about to fade and then be <laughs> yeah. paralyzed for eight hours. It's great. I love it. I love being paralyzed <laughs> for eight hours. I love it. Yeah. But I will say, I think the structure of the song lends itself to that because I think the first time that he says, um, feeling gravity's pull, that's when you like, oh. You suddenly yep, no, you jog okay. yourself to work. Yeah. The, the the second time, you go sleep and you you go into the the hypnotic kind of chorus kind of thing. Um, and I, I also think it's interesting on your album that is full of stories and eccentrics with a slightly sort of psychedelic sound to open with a song about someone falling asleep and kind of entering that that kind of dream state. You know,
2: yeah, oceans form and mountains drifts. Uh, oh I think, like, it, it, yes it's
0: very dreamy doesn't it but also like okay so i'll just read you like the the first sort of like stanza or portion of lyrics and it's they're, they're just the mysterious imagery is still in them but now michael stipe is packaging it in something that makes some kind of linear sense you know um i fell asleep and read just about every paragraph Read the scene where gravity is pulling me around. Peel back the mountains, peel back the sky, stomp gravity into the floor. It's a Man Ray kind of sky. Let me show you what I can do with it. Time and distance are out of place here. Step up. The sky is open-armed. When the light is mine, I feel gravity pull. Uh, Man Ray is a surrealist photographer. Um, So he's kind of like describing this kind of surreal sky as he kind of enters this sort of dream state. Um, That makes so much more kind of linear sense than something like Radio Free Europe or Harbour Coat or, uh, you know, a bunch of other sort of songs that we've that we've covered in this podcast.
2: Yeah, he's describing a scene in a way. It's a bit uh, abstract, you know, but um, but not that abstract. It's, yeah, quite, exactly. it's quite obvious what's going on. Uh, you can get an idea of place,
0: right? Exactly. We're kind of more in the realm of the way that Tom York writes. You know, I, I think that this style of Michael Stipe's writing uh, is is very influential on Tom York. You know, you get a sense of situation, you get a sense of place, but there's still abstract imagery to contend with. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah. Sort of weird stuff this is weird, but weird, weird stuff going on. But you can imagine someone stood there looking at it and describing it. Right. Whereas before, it's like, and then. And then imagine this. Yes. And then what about this?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Two um, conflicting ideas. <laughs> yeah. And now a third. Oh <laughs> <laughs> this is the song that I thought there was a melodica on. Oh. In interesting. like buried in the background somewhere. I think it's strings. Uh, Bill Buried. Berry. Maybe it's just strings. Good, Bill Buried. Yeah. It's, <laughs> what? Just, Bill Berry and Mike Mills really sound like names that can't be on a man that is below fifty years of age. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you, whenever you say Bill Berry or Mike Mills, in fact, or Peter Buck, I picture a fifty. I picture whatever they probably look like now. I was going to say they're not below fifty, so you've nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> so they are quite old names, but they never they? have been. <laughs> but I mean, but but at this point, they're not. At this point, they're like some young bloody rock boys. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were they were born sixty.
0: <laughs> what a bunch of legends! Yeah, do you, do you Maps like the song and you Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, fine. No, don't worry. No, no, no. Yeah. no, no, good. no Steve, good. I do like the song. Yeah. No, yeah. Steve, yeah. You like it, yeah. I do like okay, the song. Yeah, actually, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. It's like
1: got me. a vibe. It's definitely got a vibe. It's definitely got a vibe. It's definitely got a vibe. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you know what else has a vibe?
0: uh Ma- Maps. oh It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> oh. Oh.
1: Guys, I've got one. I've got one. I've got one.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Opposite. Chorus uh, done in 50 seconds. Yeah. 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 Um,
2: I cannot unhear. It, it says he's not to be reached at the beginning. He's not to be reached. Mm. I just hear he's like a bitch. Okay, every good. time. Okay,
1: good. Good. That's good to know. He's like a bitch. <laughs> uh,
2: so I guess it's about a guy who's like a bitch. He's a bit like um, a bitch. Yeah. It's, about, it's about, this songs about Steve. This about Steve. Yeah, because I, I, I'm like a bitch. Yeah. But I'm so much I'm more like than that. a bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really like a bitch. <laughs>
1: I'm really like a bitch. This this song sounds more, like you said, standard REM. Bit more, yeah, bit classic. more what you'd expect. Except it's still like just in terms of like tempo, just a bit slower, isn't it? I could hear a more upbeat version of this on a a different different album.
0: I I think that on this album, and I'm going to repeat, it's a tricky album. I think there's a difference in energy and production. And sometimes they coalesce and sometimes they butt heads. And I think this has... Mike butt. You're absolutely (laughs) right. Nope. This has more of the bright folk energy that we're used to from R.E.M. at this point in their career. However... That murky production that I think serves the first song really, really well. They carry it over to this one and it kind of mostly kills it for me. You know? Yeah, it just sounds like a normal REM song, but worse. Yeah, it sounds like they it's, it's, it haven't given it the right treatment. And and the thing is, I really like the melodies in each of its constituent parts. I really like the call and response, the he's to be reached, he's to be reached, that stuff. The verse. It's just quite REM right? It's pretty. Very like, REM That dual vocal thing. Yeah. And the verses the uh called the fool in the company that long melody line stuff that he does. And I think the chorus really fucks the maybe he's caught yeah. in the legend. That's a great chorus. It and really is. you know, maybe he's caught in the mood and and the song is Guys, well, it's kind of caught in the mood because you have to fucking <laughs> really wade through the production to get to any of the harmonies, which are singing different lyrics to to Stipe again, um, or or the melodic guitar parts, and the the bass is depressingly buried on a lot of these songs, especially compared to... Still Reckoning. buried. Yep. Okay, but he's not the bassist. That's the problem. <laughs> but it still, 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 still works good. and it's still, it's, still, it's still, still good. good. It's
2: buried by Bill. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, it's, yes. it's buried by Bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's his, uh, that's his fragrance, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. It's yes. buried.
0: Buried, by, buried Bill. by Bill. And it has a big monobrow on the bottle. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a white bottle with a
1: big black monobrow. I need to see this monobrow.
2: But it, oh man, you, uh, we haven't even begun to describe <laughs> the monobrow, I don't think. Do you know it what, because it's
1: insane. That, that might
0: be something to do with why you, maybe not like, oh, R.E.M. special voice. Yeah, we haven't looked at them yet, right? You don't have yeah. a connection to how they look and how they sort well, of yeah. like I mean, we've, hold we've themselves. watched
1: videos of them playing gigs, which, what have we seen of manix by the third album? Apart from the fact that I know what they look like because Nicky Wire is Nicky Wire. Well,
0: I was showing you loads of photos and stuff wasn't I do you remember um,
1: yeah
2: we handed that book round in the first episode didn't we, yeah, we yeah, yeah. At them we sort yeah, of that,
1: looked at them that and also just Nicky Wyatt. I mean Nicky Wire's
2: yeah. you know. Lucas do yourself a favour mate just type in R.E.M.
1: Do, do you think I'm not looking oh, at Bill Berry right now and is looking it at absolutely it is <laughs> such a choice isn't it I like, love
0: the energy of that choice I love the energy of the choice
1: it's him going like yeah so what Yeah. F- I mean, I mean, what, what, I mean yeah. it's not a choice it? is it it's definitely like something that grows he doesn't like you know Paint no, that no. On. it's no, quite the opposite of a choice actually. It's <laughs> actually quite the opposite of a choice. He's decided to keep that. I have well, does a that make slight it? monobrow and I choose Steve, to Steve, shave Steve, it. Steve, does, does that make it a choice that you have two arms, mate? Because you've chosen uh, to keep the two arms. Yeah, that's <laughs> a, good <laughs> point, a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> a good point. <laughs> a good point.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Yeah. One's harder to remove than the other. What
1: one what what the, le- the left or the right? Yeah, because you're right
0: because you're right-handed. Exactly. Yeah. Steve's left-handed at him. Steve's not left-handed. I'm left-handed. Steve's Steve, not. You're left-handed. You're left-handed. You left-handed. I'm you left-handed. left-handed. Yeah, then yeah. why do you play guitar oh, no.
1: right-handed? We've done this.
0: I do everything right-handed except for writing.
1: Yes. Right. Okay. Good.
0: I'm, okay, I hated a the gap. Bit, bit of a pause. Uh, yep. <laughs>
1: yes. If you like, if you pick up the TV remote to just change channel, what would you do with your left hand? Just no. Right hand. Are you sure you're right-handed? Yeah, because I write left. While well, no, I'm not sure I'm right-handed. I'm definitely left-handed. Is, I, I mean, you. It sounds, like you do more thi- it sounds like you do more things with your right hand than your left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon but, that makes your right hand your dominant hand. Does it, though? Because it's di- isn't it dictated by
0: the one that you write with? No, actually, no. That's going to fade out as people stop needing to write, right? Isn't it? <laughs> well, oh, I, d- wow. I don't do know, you know if it is. It's just your dominant hand. I don't know oh, if means. Well, writing. So my left the hand h- that Adam uses to smack me. So, yeah, I was going to ask if my left hand is my sub hand
2: yeah <laughs>
0: sort of similar things yeah
2: yeah hey hey guess what what traveling and that isn't it
0: yeah i don't know no i don't think it is to be honest well, with you. i think I, it is but like, it, isn't. It, isn't. it isn't i like it isn't. the
2: it isn't. i like the dual meaning of the word the word legend in this because he's talking about being lost in the legend like history and all that kind of thing but obviously also just the legend on a map Yes. Okay, key, yeah.
0: Um I mean it's stuff. it's kind of about the outsider artist Reverend Howard Finster who the band admired was yeah and yeah. The, he he did the artwork <laughs> for Reckoning um, apparently he's a bit of a mysterious guy which is why the lyrics are sort of closer to Michael Sight's previous work and also kind of contradictory, right? He's not to be reached, he's to be reached is kind of the, the repeated refrain. Um, Down the way the road's divided, paint me the places you have seen. Those who know what I don't know refer to the yellow, red and green. Um, yeah. I think that's an interesting comment on creation. And experiencing art through an emotional lens or a critical lens, you know. Some, some people just want to see what the painter sees. And other, others talk about the use of colour and how clever that is or whatever. And then later in the song, Stipe changes that to he just sings whatever he's seen. So maybe it's like a sly like, reference to his own writing, you know. And, and that thing we were talking about, about being able to literally understand things and just being able to feel things, you know. Adam, mm. which
1: of those two people am I? Oh, uh... <laughs> he just sings whatever he's seen. I don't know. No, just, just wants to see what the painter sees, or wants to look at the color and and the and the use of color. Well, no, be, no, because because
0: but the use of color is a very. He, I think he's using it as like. As like a crit, like people looking at with a critical eye, like saying like, "Oh, look at the way that he's used the green in this painting." Do you know what I mean? Not just going like, "Oh, I like the color green." Uh, <laughs> it's 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 more of like a critical thing. Whereas, yeah, some people just want to see what the painter has has seen. Just paint me a picture of your experience. Um, and other people want to criticize things and and both are fine but yeah the song seems to talk about maps and discovering ways to read things being caught in legends there's that double play on the myth sort of thing steve but Mm -hmm. also the legend is something that tells you how to read symbols on a map um so it's yeah it, it, it is caught between sort of like experiencing art and analyzing art uh is how i take it and the song is caught between the two sort of things on this album because there are songs on this album that is dark, that are like dark and murky and messy, and the production works for them. And then there are other songs that don't have such a drastic version of that production. And this is kind of caught between them. This is this is an interesting. Um, it's another headbutting thing. It's the thing I get caught on in this album. I think it's a tricky album. I think this is a great song, uh, completely swallowed by its own murkiness. So yeah. I I just kind of can't. I can't get to the song. It's keeping me at arm's length. But if I'm singing it to myself, I'm like, oh, that's a great song. At some point, we're going to watch the DVD that's called Perfect Square, which is them performing on their Greatest Hits tour in 2003. Um, And they play Maps and Legends, despite it not appearing on any of their Greatest Hits. And it sounds great. When it's clean and it's live and everything, you're like, fucking hell, Maps and Legends is a great song. This version of it doesn't do it for me. Yeah, that's
2: interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, I, uh, hearing it then, I was just like, oh, great. Mm-hmm. But when it is swallowed, even even it gets swallowed by the album as well. Like that is another thing. Um, it's not necessarily the the production of that particular song, but it kind of do, these songs disappear into themselves a bit. That sounds way more wanky than I meant it to. <laughs> no, i You don't have to
1: couch it. See, yeah. I don't, I don't hear like a great song. I, I can, I can hear in my head, I can sort of imagine the brighter, slightly more up-tempo, more, you know, cleanly produced version of this same song. Like I can kind of imagine what that sounds like. Mm. And to me, that still sounds very much just like, yeah, it's a pretty normal R.E.M. song. Do you know what I mean? Mm.
0: Right. Who, who, who famously write great songs?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, in, 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 in your, in your I.M.O.,
0: no, that's a pretty universal thing. Like the, the thing that they are held up for, and I think it's something that we're going to come unstuck on, because you don't pay really any attention to or hold any stock in songwriting. You are about how a song sounds, not how it's written and what it's saying. Because songwriting itself is a craft that you can learn and hone and master. There is some degree of like an objective view of it. People who know the craft... Can see a well-crafted song, um, and so they are held up. Yeah, they're held up as great songwriters.
1: I mean, there are exceptions to that, though. As we've established with the 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 Holy Bible relitigation, is that I do respond more now to the intent of that album and all the rest of it. Uh, in for what it is, right? Sure, but the, like, like, but on the whole, yes. yes the, the the whole. chorus on
0: this is an in- incredibly well-written chorus, like. Almost just objectively, the
1: melody on that is, is great. See, and this is what's really interesting, and what i was saying about this album. I'm trying to hear it and I can't in my head. I'm trying to remember the chorus. And I've heard this album loads of times. Why can I not suddenly just imagine the chorus in my head? It's, it's mad to me that I, like, you, I, I can't suddenly go, okay, we're hanging the chorus of this song. I'm literally blanking on what mm. the chorus of the song sounds like, which is mad that a song would drip out of my, my memory hole so quickly. It
0: gets swallowed, man. It gets swallowed in that production. But the, maybe he's caught in the legend. It's, it's, yeah. so, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's it, such it, a you cool just you, just you just reengaged yeah. it there.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, you are right that there's an energy sapped from it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a tempo thing, I don't know, because I haven't heard any other version of this song.
0: Whereas the next one, it's kind of in a similar, it's a very similar songwriting mode to Maps and Legends, right? Driver 8. Um, and it's got a similar kind of country-tinged, bright kind of mood to maps and legends but also the production is much brighter and so you can hear the song and the song kind of shines off the back of that i think anyway driver eight Far and away, my favourite thing on the album. It's one of my favourite REM songs, you know. A
1: much-needed injection of energy,
0: isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. weird because it's not in that it. much more energetic than, than than the Maps and Legends. You can just hear it clearer,
1: you know. I think I didn't It's funny you say that because I literally wrote it in my notes: "It's good to have some energy, but it's not much." Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's it's not EDM. It's like no, <laughs> I don't think so. No, it's not. Also, that uh, bit with the the, the 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 in the verses, I want to say the the train, the, the the bit where he says the train condu- the train conductor says, yeah, that, that take bit, a break, driver eight. Sounds like The Smiths, which is yeah, sure, which is of the t- wait. Remind me where that we are again? When is that? 1985. What is that? Oh no, but no, where are we in comparison to the Smiths hey, and that? 85, sort of
2: 1985. The song mentions the Smiths, uh, Morrissey and Jolly uh, Marr.
1: So yeah, they're about and they're popular. Nineteen eighty five. Yeah, so it's obviously because the whole idea is that they, you know, uh, REM did their own thing and and essentially pioneered a genre. And that there's a little bit there where they sound like the thing that was a uh, contemporary, briefly. Yeah, for we, a verse. we talked about like how <laughs> a bit of a verse
2: uh, asked if they were uh influenced by Smiths, didn't they yeah. and they were like well, no because
0: we we, we predate we, them we, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah the, the 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 first smiths album has only has been out less than a year when they were recording this oh blimey okay so it's yeah. not necessarily that they sound like smith's. they're not they're not necessarily contemporaries no 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 um it's about a train isn't it yeah yeah it's about a very specific train actually it's name checked in the lyrics the, the southern crescent Which is a long distance passenger train that ran on the Southern Railroad, right, from 1894 until today. Oh, Uh, wow, that's cool. That's a slow train, isn't it? Slow train. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, Today it's run by Amtrak rather than Southern Railroad. Uh, It connects the Northeast with the Gulf Coast, the length of the country, and it runs through Georgia. And there is very definitive imagery that is about an old locomotive train traveling across the rural South of the United States. It references fields of wheat, tree houses, power lines, bells, children playing all with this piece of like machinery that is like chugging through the landscape. Um, I saw a tree house on the outskirts of the farm. The power lines have floaters so the airplanes won't get snagged. Bells are ringing through the town again. Children look up. All they hear is sky blue bells ringing. So you still have elements of interpretive image, imagery, right? Sky blue bells ringing is... It doesn't make logical sense. No. But it's, but, it's interesting. But
2: it's clear. It means clear, doesn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but but it, yeah, that's not a phrase, is it? Like, but it? But I know exactly what you're talking it's about. Not, yeah, it's it's, not, again
0: it's like, nonsense taken literally. And then there's more sort of specific references like she's selling faith on the Tell crusade, which is the practice of like spreading your evangelism
1: and religion and, 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 and travel, Steve. Yeah, you were saying travel. What, yeah. what is interesting is they're talking about all this imagery and, and you can picture all the imagery. I, certainly I picture it more when Adam says it to me than when I don't hear it in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, although there's bits I hear. I've literally put, made, made note of the, the words I've made out. Um, whenever, you just, whenever you're saying those 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 words and you know that, that Southern imagery, I'm not picturing modern day. And I don't mean modern day as in today. I mean, I'm not even picturing 1985. Yeah. I'm picturing 1885. Yeah, 18, yeah. 18, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And it's a steam Same. train and the kids have got a little yeah. flat cap and they're waving it at the train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With their little britches. With their britches. Mate, fables,
0: <laughs> fables of the reconstruction. It's, it's like, it's basically set in the, the kind of mythical
1: aspects of the past of the South. But it's, it's weird, though, because meaning. none of those words that you said are specific. In fact, they mentioned airplanes, which weren't about. So it's interesting that that imagery, which isn't of 18, or isn't specifically of an old-timey. Old yeah. I picture yeah. it old-timey because actually power lines, airplanes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. that's 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 them growing up, surely. That's Michael Stipe as a child. It's because it sounds
0: old. Like the sound of the song is very lived in, and yeah. it's quite a nostalgic sort of sounding song. Um, it's
1: got. I mean, it's got a fucking harmonica on it,
0: mate. Let's talk about the harmonica. We love. <laughs> we love an mate. REM bridge, and this is one of my favourite REM bridges of all time. Here it is. <laughs> fucking bridge that's it's yeah. such a lift to the song and that the riff is also very cool i love that riff it's such a good riff
2: but it, but it that is so country as well is that ding ding, 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 ding on the mm-hmm. guitar it's really cool and then just yeah like you said the the uh the stuff about shielding from the heat you get that well this is more of a dry heat song than a humid song like the first track
0: very southern though like yeah. shielding from the heat and the harmonica is yeah. mimicking a train whistle as well, which uh, which I think is great. Um, this was the second single from the album and was described by Peter Buck as the kind of song I can write in my sleep.
2: You <laughs> might, okay, yeah. <laughs> talk to us about talk to us about
0: how you wrote this like hit single and stuff yeah yeah it's easy actually um in 2009 michael stipe said that he listened to this song and thought to his thought to himself wow you're not the hoax that you think you are which is uh hey
2: that's nice that's nice isn't it i
0: think it's an incredible song i absolutely love it it's going to make my end of the era top 10 when we get to it um I think I think I think when Peter Buck is saying oh it's the kind of song I can write in my sleep it's cuz he he considers it like the quintessential R E M song of this period you know it these kind of chord changes the long melody lines the jangle of it it being caught up in southern imagery uh, and Michael Stipe's vocals and stuff this is the R E M sound of like the first three albums. You could probably put this on Reckoning. You could probably put it on on Murmur. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you there. And they knew that, and by 1988, so in three years' time uh, at this point in the story, the band used this song as a yardstick, and they said they'd kn- they knew when they'd written a good song when it was as far away from Driver 8 as possible. Interesting. Right. There you go. The next song Mm. is called Life and How to Live It. Right. I'm going to talk for a little bit about this song. It has quite a soft, atmospheric open, uh, opening. But then you see that little glimmer. There's, there's that danceable sort of punk energy that we're kind of used to from R.E.M. It's the fastest of the tracks we've had so far. Feels the most energetic, right? This, was a, this was, must have been another lift, maybe, mm-hmm. Lucas?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the you thing. You lifted Mo- and you have most, been dropped most yet. of the lifts to these is like, it's lifts to like, yeah, this is fine. As opposed to like, uh, dr- drudge. Do you know what I mean? Sure. But yeah, it certainly is a lift. It yeah. certainly is like a better uh, vibe. Kind of like Maps and Legends, which kind
0: of focus on like a southern eccentric character. This is another one of those so called eccentric character stories wrapped up into a song. It's based on a reclusive man from the band's hometown of Athens, Georgia, called Brivs Mekis, right? very, very rarely left his house. Okay? Most people who lived around him knew him as that Russian guy. Uh, and when he died, people began to clear out his house, and it was discovered that the inside of the house was about half as big as the house should have been despite containing all of the facilities and the amenities and the rooms that you would expect. And then there was one internal door that led you to the other half of the house, which also had all of the facilities and amenities and rooms that you would expect from a full house, only decorated completely differently. He had wardrobes in each half of the house that were filled with different clothes. And what he'd been doing was living in one half of the house... And then when he got bored or another part of his personality emerged, he would completely undress and then move into the other half of the house and live there until he felt like moving back. Um, On one of the sides of the house was a closet and stacked floor to ceiling and completely full were numerous copies of the same book. Um, a book that he himself had written and had had privately published, which was basically his manifesto and thoughts on living a successful life. And it was called Life and How to Live It. And he owned and kept every copy. He had never distributed them. They were only discovered when people were clearing out his house after his death. And whenever R.E.M. played this song live... Michael Stipe would tell that story first, but he would, like, embellish it or change details each time. He used to say stuff like, on one side of the house he had a cat and on the other side he had a gerbil. Um, And it's really unclear which bits of the story are true, which is very REM, but he's also changing the story each time. So he's literally reconstructing the fable each time that he tells it. And I think that that's what this album kind of focuses on, right? It's storytelling. It's how we tell stories, why we tell stories and how it kind of doesn't matter which bit of stories are true or not, as long as the story means something to somebody or, you know, is relevant. And that is ultimately the MO of REM as well, right? Like we've seen that so many times already. It doesn't really matter which bit of what they say is true or what someone thinks the song is about. It doesn't even really matter what I'm saying is true. When I've been telling you the story of REM, I've told at least five lies, but they are... Better Their names. It's their names. Yeah, it's their names. But it's it's better for the story uh, if I tell you that rather than what actually happened. Um, And the song is about both the practice of moving between the two halves of the houses, but also the construction of the wall in the house because it's something that Mekis had constructed himself. The song references a carpenter, but also states of like knowledge that is being kept separate mm-hmm. by the walls yeah. um read about the wisdom wall the knock 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 a secret knock one hammer's locked the other wisdom's lost um there were some suggestions that Meccas was schizophrenic uh, and this was his way of coping with his changeable mood you know when his mood changed he needed his surroundings to change um Raise the walls to hide these floors, the carpenter should rest, so that when you tire of one side, the other serves you best. Uh, it's a cool song. Uh, I I think yeah. I, it, it might be one of those things where,
1: Lucas, you find the story of that much more interesting than the song itself. Josh you really interesting? I've even got a note here on this saying something I did respond to of Mannix, even on the albums when I didn't respond well the first time round, was the stories and hearing the, what the lyrics and the stories were about, mm-hmm. but not whilst I was listening to it, but to discuss it with you afterwards. But I don't seem to have that here, maybe because they're more abstract. It's no ready for drowning. Sure. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet, that's a very interesting little story. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Because you've told it, and obviously, you've, you know, from what you said on stage and all the rest of it, because it's not as clear from the lyrics. No, it's not. And, and... Uh, so I wouldn't infer it. Although, having said that, as if I inferred it from Ready for Drowning. I was going to say... The, you, told, like, you would have just told me the first time round. Yeah. And now when I listen to Ready for Drowning, I know what it's about, and so I listen for it.
0: Exactly. The the opening of Ready for Drowning is like, uh, I heard it in a taxi and stuff like that, isn't it? You're not getting the story yeah. from, from the lyrics. But also,
1: when I do then listen to it later and I know what it's about, I can hear the lyrics that are saying the thing that it's about, mm-hmm. whereas on this I won't hear the lyrics either way because I'll hear how to money around number around you know what
2: I mean like well, but reading them now it's it's so biographical yeah. it's really interesting because this is such a different like I know you said at the top of the album top of the episode that but this is such a different way of him writing yeah yeah because he's just telling that story you told yeah yeah it's embellished in terms of uh to make it sound nicer and more poetic etc but even at the end if I write a book it will be called life and how to live it yeah, yeah exactly that's what happens and he
0: runs images together so that they're more compelling and stuff it's not yeah it's not a one-to-one thing you couldn't read the lyrics of that song and then repeat the story that i just told you because, it,
4: because it's. It, yeah, yeah No, of course but yeah, it's yeah, all it's in like there the,
2: yeah r- running around talking in the street and barking in the street and tell you what i've got hidden there yeah yeah like he do he didn't he didn't do that he didn't because they found it afterwards yeah uh but yeah that's a really interesting oh that's very cool I didn't know anything about that. It's, um, it's also just
0: kind of a cool song. I like the uh, kind of the very straightforward nature of it, you know, um, became a bit of a fan favourite off the back of the album. Yeah. What about the disco
2: drum beat? <laughs> yeah. It's classic. bass line. Good bass. Good bass line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doom the bass, doom the bass doom
0: does a little Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's the melody. Like, because the guitar is just doing the chords. Uh, and well not necessarily chords he's doing arpeggios isn't he but um the, the bass is doing the lifting of the melody yeah, which is very cool i mean we know he's a good bassist and writes good bass lines right well, that's a bit old
0: i mean let's save the mike mills chat because we're almost certainly going to talk about him on the next song aren't we yeah, on definitely. uh on old man kenzie
2: Bass, yeah. Some evil drudge, bass. Drudge, evil base, drudge, drudge, evil just bass.
1: dirty, dirty, slimy, just just <laughs> slathered in just thick mud. bass
0: This guitar. is this is the song that Steve pointed to when we were on the commentary and went, oh, "It sounds like grunge." Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it does sound like a swamp, doesn't it?
0: It does, but it does. It does sound like grunge. Like, I, I can, I can hear it. It has that that darkness to it. It has that kind of like thumping darkness, and it's all written around that bass line. And we we have focused on the bass a lot this season because we're the internet's premier Mike Mills podcast. Obviously, mm-hmm. we need we yeah. need little badges, really. Um, but it feels worth pointing out at this juncture that having the bass take this kind of prominence in pop and rock music is kind of something that REM brought to the table. Um, I was I was reading about this typically the that would have been a guitar riff. You know, uh, the, the Beatles and the Who and Led Zeppelin, a lot of those, the classic rock bands existed or in or rather kind of set the traditional band lineup in which guitar was the the primary primary instrument. And it's not to say that the bassists in those bands aren't incredible, because they are, um, but the bass is still very much used as glue that holds the guitar and the vocals together. And R.E.M. and the police, actually, brought... A different kind of songwriting for the bass, and, and they brought it to the bass to the forefront of kind of like rock music, and it's really obvious on this one because the bass is setting the tone. It's setting that ominous yeah. tone, and then when the guitar comes in, you know, with the dead notes and that those thin parts, it's to support the bass. The guitar doesn't come in and become the leading part of the song, you know. Um, and then, because I was reading further on this, Steve, when you said, "Oh, this sounds like grunge," that use of bass becomes quite important for grunge and like early 90s alt rock uh in general you know you can you can put a little pin here and go oh there's a little start of a little influence there into into early 90s alt rock
2: yeah it is pretty evil sounding isn't it as well um but it's a weird old weird old song isn't it and sort of
0: weird old guy I reckon weird old, weird it's a weirdo, weird
2: old guy, weird old song, weird old album. Yeah, uh, yeah. Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Apart <laughs> from that, like, dr- apart from that, like, drudgy bass. And granted, to say apart from the thing that stands out most in the song is a weird, you know, it maybe a bit of a misnomer. But uh, I, just, I literally wrote in my notes, bored. I'm bored at this point. Uh, but that is saying apart, uh, ignoring the bit that's the most sort of standout element of the song so it is maybe a bit of a weird <laughs> yeah. uh, line to draw but you know what i mean but uh, i know what you mean apart from what i mean is i guess apart from that line, the rest of it i just it just again just to go back to my whole point at the start of the episode just 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 didn't just nothing sucked me in it didn't it didn't you know grab me in any way negatively or positively it's a slog this one i can see it
2: yeah i, I get it this is like the the first track but without the lift uh it it just kind of trudges. I mean, I find it a bit funny. Some of it, there's jokes. In considering it. Yeah. that, yeah. there's jokes. Yeah, yeah.
0: like he, he wants to be a sign painter, but first he's got to learn he's to. Got read. to learn to read. Yeah, uh, this it's about an ex- it's, it's another eccentric old man song. So it's like another sort of southern gothic thing, and this sounds incredibly southern gothic, right? It sounds quite southern. It sounds fucking gothic. So, there we yeah. go. It's yeah, a, it's the a gothic, gothic, I guess. Brent yeah. fingers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's inspired by someone specific, a friend of um, Reverend Howard Finster uh, from his hometown that locals called Old Man Kenzie. But the specifics of that story, or uh, fable, uh, it, it's difficult to say how based, in fact, they actually are. It's more of, like, a vibe of that kind of person. And, like... I think most people have an experience of that kind of person, an eccentric, eccentric, like, local figure. I I don't know if you you were there. I don't know if you remember it. I remember growing up, Steve, we grew up in the same place, in the woods Mm. behind the supermarket near where I lived was a man who lived in a tent. Oh, yeah. Uh, And there was just something very compelling about that there was something very interesting about that there was something very creepy about that there was something very sad about that and we'd go and explore that area and we'd like look inside the tent and there were like books and there was like some food and stuff and we'd only stay like for a few minutes at a time before like running off and occasionally we'd like catch like glimpses of this this guy that lived in a tent behind the supermarket you know that kind of Mm. I mean now I know that he's a homeless person right yeah. someone who did yeah. not have a place to live other than that tent but at the time it was had that vibe of like the eccentric older man you know from like from from the local area like uh, there there was a man who lived on on our street right who would just keep any ball that went over his fence, okay. <laughs> right. And yeah. when and when you a went bit, to... a bit less,
1: exce- a bit less, you know, eccentric. No, mate, <laughs> because
0: when you went to knock for it, he wouldn't answer the door, but he would look at you through a gap in the curtains. <laughs> uh, and he was always in, and we never saw him leave the house. These, you know, these people. These people are from your hometown, and they exist. And this song is about someone like that, even if it's not strictly about a real person, you know. There's a guy
2: that lives opposite me. Um, and on the first day, the day we moved in, he uh, had a go at us and talk, told us we had to respect his property yep. because for 30 seconds we parked near his garage. Right. And so I thought, oh, come on. Like, like he was, it's like he was waiting for someone to do it. Um, since I, where I am now, and I can see out of the window to his garage, uh, he uses that garage he, uh, about 15 times a day. Right. He goes in his car, drives out, go, drives around for five minutes, comes back and drives and goes back into the garage, shuts the garage. He'll go off for an hour. He'll come back out and do the same thing. So he's constantly
0: going, in use then.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
2: that's the, that's the thing. It's just he like a oh, right. dickhead. And I was like, to be fair, he uses it a lot. <laughs> and actually it was about respect and we should have respected it. To be fair, Steve, sounds like he's a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, cool, <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, cool. His other his other half uh, wears a Christmas jumper all year round.
0: All year round. Wow. All year round, baby. These eccentric local figures, you know, they they exist, and I, you know, there's there's some very subtle strings in here that are quite interestingly used. Um, Michael Stipe said about the the strings. They should sound like you're listening to the song, and it's not quite connecting. I imagine the white noise feeling you have when you're driving through a rural area late at night, and you're picking up seven stations at the same time. Um, again, reminds me of Johnny Greenwood's use of strings on OK Computer, but like that's more than ten years after this. And it also, <laughs> also, if you're not connecting to the song, good because that's the intention it's like he he doesn't he he wants it to sound like you're not quite connecting to the song which offers another interesting sort of entry into that uh intention versus result dichotomy I,
1: i get that on like an academic level i do get that idea but also like they're making an album and printing it to to vinyl they want people to want to listen to it so if you just did an album that's entirely makes someone go, I'm not drawn in by this, that's not necessarily a successful, oh, they were being very clever. It's like, well, no, you've made an album I don't want to listen to.
2: Well, I've got a theory, Lucas Every band we've done so far, I swear, has had records or whatever where they've gone, we wanted it to sound bad. We want, We were deliberately tearing up. Do you think they just fucked up? Do you think every band just keeps fucking up and there's revisionist history they go, that was the intention? Uh do you think? Do you think? Yeah, know no, your enemy. They thought it
1: was going to be like a, a stadium filling album. Yeah, yeah. And they did it really it badly, <laughs> a
2: really concise, straightforward rock album.
0: That I do believe. Um, oh. But you've got to you've got to bear in mind the difference in music consumption, which is that people would buy one album and listen to it like. For ages, yeah, you know, people would listen to this again and again and again, and it would seep its way into you. And I, I appreciate it wouldn't for everybody. And Lucas, for you, it hasn't. But the intention was never, it's got to grab you in the first listen, uh, or they'll never hear it again, because that was not how music was listened to back then. That's the TikTok generation, you know? No, you'd, you'd sit down, you'd put your record on. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not the TikTok
2: generation, am I? You I'm... are, because you, min- you mentioned, have you seen this TikTok? I saw a TikTok every episode.
1: There's Steve, you send me it. TikToks every fucking five
2: minutes? I know, I'm just saying that, like, yeah, it, it, it's every episode you, you'll say, I saw this thing.
0: It's not even just that. It's, like, it's not the TikTok necessarily, but it is, we are the internet generation that has we have the opportunity to go and look at whatever we want whenever we want to, you know, which you couldn't in 1985. Even when we were growing up and we were sitting in people's living rooms and watching the music channels, if a song came on you didn't like, you could switch it to one of the other 10 music channels that, that were on. You had one channel that was MTV at this time, you know. People would sit and they'd listen to whole albums. And you're right, Steve, they'd sit down and the only thing that they'd be doing is listening to the album. That doesn't happen anymore. So I appreciate that it's not seeped into people's consciousness, consciousness, this, 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 this the people's consciousness, and this, 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 if mm. you have the same experience of media as we do. Uh, but that's not how albums that were made in that time were intended to be listened to.
2: You, you once described it to me, Adam, uh, and I found this really funny. Someone was like, someone said to you once, you're on your phone a lot, and you were like, Of course I am. I've got everything in my pocket. It's really distracting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got the entire universe in here. I can look at anything, any thought that I have. I can instantly follow up with 20 of my friends, uh, three different experts. I can read an article that has the entire history of it. Yeah. With REM, you didn't even get the fucking lyrics, mate. You like you had to really drill into that listening didn't experience. Have the track you know? listing, yeah, you didn't even have the track <laughs> listing before you bought it. You know, <laughs> they were so out of step even then with like with the listening experience. But th- yeah, it's not supposed to be like oh, uh, you know, didn't grab me on first listen, so get rid. Which I appreciate is not what you're saying. It also didn't grab you on the twentieth listen, but you know, for a lot of people, it would have done, and a lot of people would have been giving
1: it that amount of time. You know, yeah, yeah. And all of my listens weren't me sat with headphones in silence in a chair. Right. They were in in my car or in my headphones whilst I was at the shops. Like, I was still engaged in something else, even if that other thing was pretty mindless. But you do do a couple. We all do at least a couple, like a
0: few of like active... Listens. Just to reassure yeah. our listeners that we're not all just sort of like constantly doing things while this is on in the background.
1: Sh- shuffle in my car from the first listen, I reckon. <laughs> no, idea do Adam, I'm listening right now, I'm listening to the next album okay, cool.
0: cover. Cool. I just need to be doing something else. Lovely. Good, good, good. Um what what do you think of this as a closer?
2: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's the end to side A, yeah.
1: Yeah, I I've I've got a note here saying like this is a closer to side A. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. not it mm. for me. But that's unsurprising because the song is not it for me. <laughs> Great closer. Dark, yeah. brooding closer
0: to what is actually like It this side closes the same way it starts. Because, yeah, that's true. Because it opens really dark and brooding. And then you've got actually three pretty light, sort of much more yeah. energetic songs. And then it brings you back down. And then you move on to, you know, you, you take your headphones off. Yeah. You yeah. Uh, get up out of the chair that you're sat in. You, mm-hmm. walk over brag, the, chair. You, you walk over to the chair. You walk over to the the record player. Uh, yep. You take the, the thing. take the needle off. You place it back in the little stow thing. You um, take the vinyl off of the turntable. You put it back yep. into the sleeve. Uh, you get mm-hmm. the other copy that you've got because you have you buy a copy for each side. Um, And then you put that one down uh, onto another side, you lift the needle, uh, and then you Mm. put it down. Uh, And then the first track of side B, which is called Another Side, starts to play. And it's called Can't Get
1: There From Here. No apostrophe, so live it. I don't want to listen to any more of this boring dross bollocks. Yeah, we can stop
0: recording if you want. I mean, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. well, really quickly though, let's dedicate the episode. Uh let's dedicate it to Eric or 9er on our Discord. I like so, eBox Niner. Yeah. Okay, good. We'll, we'll go with Xbox Niner then. Uh Eric subscribes at our biggest mates tier on the patreon which any one of you can do and you will also get an episode dedicated to you eric this one is yours and you're my best friend the and you become steve's best friend and and that changes every week doesn't it it does, It does. Yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. Um, I'll tell you what, let's have an email. Let's have an email from Ellie Gonzalez. Hey, big mates, I'm such a big fan of Muse. They recently discovered them causing me to find your podcast. And the following diatribe is just a little of all of the thoughts I've had while going through your second season. Thanks for all oh, the gosh. last context insight. Adam, you're a snob and often right. Lucas, you are right, hands down. Muse is the best band in the world. That's what you said, wasn't it, Lucas? don't think i ever said quoting that, you honest. directly. You said Don't Muse are the I best bad in the that. world. It's what your tattoo Don't. said. And Steve, you're cool. I think I'd like to follow your playlists. Anyway, enjoy the novel below. My name is Ellie and I'm about your age, but I'm an American, so hearing your take of discovering the band from what seems like a much closer perspective just a few years before I did has been so interesting. We don't have anything like Radio 1 here, but I definitely loved whatever Muse was played on the local Los Angeles K-Rock station. They were breathtaking uh, around 2006 to 2007, I saw them play at that station's Winterfest almost acoustic Christmas in 2009. Must have been the resistance tour. What I remember is they were the one band where no one was seated for their entire set, but I'm pretty basic in my love of music and have never really delved too much into individual bands at this stage then like the rest of you i went to college continued to follow what the bands put out on k-rock but my musical tastes were generally starting to expand and i lost track of muse until like a month ago which is april 2023 when they were writing this email when i randomly decided to revisit their entire discography I realised that so many of their bangers have made it to the mainstream, and I loved them, that it was worth going back to showbiz, which I never actually heard in its entirety, all the way through to of the People, and mates, I love them. Hands down, best band. Lucas had it right from the beginning, because that's what you said, wasn't it? You said they're the best band in the world. Best band in the world. And following along with you guys has made me realise that they are truly are living the dream of every rock star. In their late teens, the boys got together and with a lot of talent tried to be rock stars. They proceeded to have a moderate amount of success with Showbiz and decided, yeah, we made it. We're rock stars. Let's do shrooms and write absolute anthems that are our takes of the music from the past few years. And it worked. They became rock stars off the trilogy of Origin, Absolution and Black Holes, offering different music tastes of what rock was doing of those times as Muse. At this point, they are playing stadiums and actually are rock stars so they start self-producing doing literally whatever they want. Matt wrote a symphony they then continue to look back Adam calls it vibe chasing I would consider it a revisit. That's an interesting interpretation of vibe chasing my criticism of vibe chasing is that they would cling on to whatever was popular at that moment rather than looking back on stuff but also I do agree with Lucas that they are the best band in the world I do actually, yeah. I do actually agree with that now. Most apparent to me, that's on the record. That's on the record. Most apparent to me in my fa- in, in my current favorite album, "Will of the People." It has been noted as being the best of Muse, but with new songs and. Absolutely. They finally made a Halloween song. The band that won Battle of the Bands, styled by Three Witches, wrote a Halloween song. They have made themselves synonymous with the season as it will now pop up on every Halloween playlist from now on. They are back to playing riffs, but jumping around in genre as they have done before, and we are fucking fucked. Fucks. You guys uh you guys used to mention how the boys used to not swear, but now they end the album on a big fuck you. I love it. What changed, I wonder? Matt can't write lyrics. I think he writes his songs thinking about the sounds of the voice. So, like, literally, if the voice needs an ah, uh, ooh, or an e, etc., then he tries to write words around those ideas. That's interesting. That's an interesting take, actually. Uh, and the results are often less than sensible. But he very likely writes the orchestri- uh, writes the orchestration for the majority of the music, a vast majority of which resonates with anyone willing to listen. I mean, they are pop rock uh But they are muse. Plus, I always feel like Adam dings the fact that the lyrics are so open-ended. But by doing that, they become more commercial and universal as the listener more easily inserts their own narrative to the nonsense lyrics and beautiful music. Um, anyway mates thanks for inspiring such thoughtfulness in me as i revisited each album again and again and again as i listened to this season of the show can't wait to hear what you have to say about billy eilish and radiohead next i know little of Billie eilish a bit more of radiohead both from their plays on k-rock and you three bring stories to life and truly make me think i cannot wait to hear your more detailed thoughts on will of the people and the will of the people tour when it comes through the uk oh well i'm interested to hear their thoughts on what we said about will of the people now so ellie email back email back with your thoughts on our thoughts on will of the people but for now that brings us to the end of another episode thank you very much everyone for listening next week next monday we will continue our exploration of rem's third album fables of the reconstruction if that is what it's called um come and join us for that but let us know what you think of what we talked about so far. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at What Is Pod, TikTok at whatismusic, and if you'd like to send something a little bit longer and we can read out on the show like Ellie did, you can email us, whatismusicpod at gmail.com. And if you liked what you heard here and thought I'd like to hear more of that, head over to our Patreon page where you'll find all kinds of extra podcast shows, one where we revisit Manitory Preachers, one where we explore all kinds of different artists, genres and eras to make themed playlists, bonus commentaries and music discussion episodes, ad-free episodes of this show, a pretty amazing uh, Discord community and block head to patreon.com slash what is or follow the link in the show notes uh, for up to two podcast episodes every single week there are also other ways you can support us if you'd like to you could buy some of our merchandise over at WhatIsMusicPod.Redbubble.com or send us a little one-off donation over on coffee.com which is ko-fi.com slash what is music the best way to support us however is to do what you're doing right now which is listening to us and you can rate the show subscribe to the show share it with your friends All of that stuff. That about does it. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. But for now, it's the end of the episode as we know it. And I feel confused. Hmm? Yeah? Hmm. What? What?
1: What what, what what are you talking about? (laughs)